don't understand, we didn't come to kill you. He couldn't understand that you have the power and don't use it like he did. Nazi hunter Peter Z. Malkin. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Sixty years ago this week, May 1960, an elite team of Israeli Mossad agents slipped quietly into Argentina, found and captured former Nazi Adolf Eichmann, the officer who during World War II had been instrumental in organizing the extermination of millions of Jews in the Holocaust. A key member of that Israeli team was a young man named Peter Z. Malkin. I met him in 1990, around the 30th anniversary of that famous episode, as he'd just written a book called Eichmann in My Hands. And as you're about to hear in this interview, the man that they were pursuing was able to escape from post-war Germany in the first place because of a simple mispronunciation of his name. So here now, from 1990, Peter Z. Malkin. You say it Eichmann, not Eichmann. I, I was just going to ask you about that. Is that the correct pronunciation? Yes, and that's, uh, if you'll hear the story, that one... If he was saved because of, of the bad pronunciation of an American, they asked him, what's your name? And he said, Eichmann. And he said, uh-huh, you're Ackman. He said, yes. Then he looked around Ackman. He said, didn't find him. After everybody looked after him, and that's the way he was saved. So Eichmann is in German, you say, E-I-C-H, is Eichmann, Eich. So that was the reason he escaped. Americans, he was prisoned as a, somebody else, and then he ran away and uh, was furnished with a new identity by a Franciscan monk and went to South America. So wow. the whole thing started with the pronunciation of the name. When you went to Argentina, when you went to retrieve Eichmann, why did you break the rule against talking to him? Why did you, why did you want to confront him? What, what did you hope to learn from him? Okay. First, I didn't think I'd break the rules. It is, you know, what's the difference between me and Eichmann? It has to be seen. I hope I've, I did it. I don't take all this for granted. And he did. I, well, what is the big, you know, in the Secret Service normally in life already, already many people give you orders, they don't know even why. It's first thing they give you the order to be sure, I told you. But you, the men who accept the order, have to think twice, why is it right or not? And that is my conclusion and the moral of the whole thing, what I've seen, don't take an order for granted. It has to go through your conscience and you don't kill for no, nobody that you will stay alive. You don't do something if you are not ready. It's like we went there and people ask me, why did you go It's against the law to kidnap somebody? I accepted it and I was ready for punishment. And I thought I'm doing the best thing I could do. If they would give me millions and tell me not to go to capture Eichmann, I said, take the millions, I want to capture the man that he has done what he's done. So it's an order is not clear 100%. Also, in our way, in the Israeli way, in the Jewish way, I would say, is the order. They give an order, but they don't think that you will fulfill it 
100%. He said, don't talk to him. Why? It's not not to talk to him. It is somebody professional, German talking, will talk to him. Now, when I talked to him and I said I talked to him, they said, why don't you talk to him more? And maybe we'll tell you where's Mengele. <laughs> so I took it for granted. You have to know who t- tells you and always be ready for punishment or that you will, each other will understand later why I did it. Now, I had the biggest chance, a man that I see, the man who... Uh, who was responsible for millions of people, about 10, 12 millions, not only Jews, 6 million, 1 million of the children, 1.5 million maybe, and another 5 million of others, you know, gypsies, black, white, uh, German, Polish. Uh, and I am in one, in, in, in one room together. I'm not going to ask him, what am I? Uh, I have to be uh, stupid, I have to be some ignorant... It was important for me, and I'm sitting with him 10 days and 10 nights. And the truth is that he started the talking. I would talk, I want to ask him, I want to understand what makes a man like me and you become what he is. Because people said he's a monster. Nonsense. It's not a monster, it's a human being. A human being was trained and accepted the training to be what he was. Now it is not. If you say monster, a monster, you accept him to do it. But I don't accept it when, when it's a human being. Now, when I look at this file and I hear what he, uh, who he is, and still, and when I see him, how he's a family man, he plays with his child and all this, I say to myself, it looks like that a family man and a human being can do it. It's not a monster. Now, all this covering with the stories, Holocaust, they say, or they say monster, mm. They covered the story and not explain it. I didn't see a monster. I saw a human being like me and you that could happen, that will become him, become what he was. Now, I don't have the name for it. Because many layers, when you look at him one way, you see him a family man. He plays with the child. He's happy, everything. Second, you know he works normally, everything. Third, his appearing is like me and yours. And after all this, you see, you learn what happened, and you ask yourself, how could it be? What makes a man to do it? And now I want to, and I knew, you know, big philosophy in these cases, nobody will understand. But simple questions, and normally in my life when I had this operation, I said, how do you simplify that simple people will understand? The most difficult thing in life is to simplify the complications. Now, you in your laboratory, in your mind, you have to talk a lot to yourself to make it simple, as you do, I'm sure, that mm-hmm. the audience will understand. Mm-hmm. Don't give them the hard work. You give them the simple sentences, they will understand. When I ask you, can I continue? Mm-hmm. You tape me already? Mm-hmm. Oh, my. It's okay. I thought we were just talking like this. Okay. Uh, When I tell him, when I I I saw you through the window, and I saw you playing with the the child, you have a young boy, six years old. I knew everything from the file before, but I saw him there. 
And I saw him when he come again, he plays with him, loves him. Family man. And all these kinds of German have been family men. Gabriel had six children. He loved them a lot, and he also, they died together from love. Mm. And, uh, and I said, this boy, six years old, he said, did you kill him? Are you going to kill him? Are you going to kill me? I said, look, I won't tell you, maybe you're not, uh, you don't understand, we didn't come to kill you. He couldn't understand that you have the power and you don't use it like he did. I just want to tell you, it reminds me, a child, my sister's child, six years old, blonde, blue eyes. The only difference is that he is dead, your child is alive. And he said to me, wasn't he Jewish? I love Jews. I won't tell you. I like Jews. And also, that was my order. I couldn't do anyway, any other way. The order was to, to gather the Jews and to send them to the concentration camp. And, I, and what about you? He said to me. Haven't you the order to capture me? You did it through an order. I said, you're right. I did it through an order, voluntarily. Nobody forced me to do it, and nobody forced you, I think. But are you, you compare my order to yours? I came to capture a criminal, capture him, but not kill him. Send him to trial. You, was, you stand the trial, you get your lawyer, you can send... You, uh, you can bring your wife, children, everybody will listen to you. You will be defended. I know you don't like to go to Israel, not the best place, as the, as the Jews didn't like to go to Germany. But that, that's the way you have to do it. And uh, not only this, what chances did you give to these people who came to the concentration camp? Did they stand trial? My sister... And the children, you separate them here, the mother here, the children there. And you told them you're going only for a shower. And that was the end. It is the worst thing you could do. You didn't give them even the chance to say goodbye. That they're going to death. The worst criminal, you give them the last word and the last wish. You even didn't do it. You know why? You took advantage of their innocent that you can send trains and kill people as much as possible as much as much as possible and not tell them there will be no even a resistance of a child a resistance of a mother and that's our differences as uh, the truth is if you are professional and this in this way i would say oh if you are interested and you want to listen from somebody you don't make him feel bad you have to f make him feel you are listening what he says. And that really I wanted to know and listen. And I said to, to hell what he's done. I want to listen till the end. I never in my life listened to somebody who killed so many people and I'll be in one room with him. No. Uh, one of the things I think it's important that he said he liked Jews. <laughs> and I said, what way did you like the Jews? He said, I learned... I've learned their language. He knew a little bit. I was in Israel, 1936. 
and uh, and I said, now I've learned from it that he had been all, he'd done all this only to study. I, I showed the perfection of a German to study the mentality of the Jewish people, and not because he liked them, that his work will be perfect. Why did you write this book? The reason I wrote the book is uh, I want to say something to the youngsters more, the people who haven't been at that time, and it's 30 years, uh, 30 years past, and I think the message is still there. Nothing has changed. And I am telling a story that it analyzes a murderer. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, and it happened yesterday. It's nothing to do with the past, but you can learn a lot from this past to the fu- into the future. It's not only this, because I, I, I'm writing it be also... Uh, I believe what happened is not is not past. And I said, yeah. when I'm going around, I said, don't tell me Holocaust, because Holocaust is a cover for many things. And the things what happened, there is millions of people who died, and everybody has his own story. The stories are good as new. You don't need have to, you don't need to look after new stories. Because if you will hear these millions of stories, they are still alive, they have a light in the, on their own, and you can have the moral of it. And really, we have one day that people tell about the Holocaust, and I hate the, the word because Holocaust makes you like it's one, ha- one happening, and that's not true. And, uh, and you hear the stories again and again, people who tell what happened to them, it's not only what the German have done, but the reaction of the people, how they lived through these uh, terrible things, and how they reacted. And from the reaction, you see, there's still a hope for the humankind. And that's why it's important. Now, I want to tell one story, or two stories, that from this you can have the moral the more of uh, of people, of happenings, and and how we have to see in the future, into the future. Adolf Eichmann was brought back to Israel by Peter Z. Malkin and his team. Eichmann was tried and convicted of war crimes and was executed in 1962. Peter Z. Malkin spent the remainder of his years in New York City with his wife and children. He died in 2005 at age 77. Well, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to Now I've Heard Everything in your favorite podcast app. We're on iHeart, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many other platforms. We post new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the interview I had nearly 14 years ago with the Nobel Peace Prize winning Wangari Matai, the founder of the Greenbelt Movement. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thank you.